I feel fairly confident today in assuming that none of you were standing upon the face of this earth back in 1912 on April the 14th when the Titanic sank into the bottom of the sea. But I do feel certain likewise, however, that you all have heard of that, you've known of that, and perhaps you know many facts surrounding the sinking of that great ocean liner. Perhaps if you know some of those facts, you're well aware of the accusations that are made about what some people said. Even back several days or months before the Titanic set sail on that fateful voyage. And how that is stated that even one man said that God himself could not sink a ship such as that. In hindsight. Looking back in time on that one event in history, we realize that it was not the case. That ship was unsinkable. I do not believe for a moment that God himself necessarily sank that ship. But I am very confident that God allowed that ship to go down. And I'm very confident that God was aware that that ship was going down. And I'm even more confident that that iceberg that God created, that he allowed to be placed within the front of them in the Atlantic Ocean, took that ship and all of its inhabitants into a watery grave. And so from that perspective, the Americas, as well as the entirety of the world, learned a very difficult lesson. And that is that in that sense, no ship is unsinkable. But I want you to go back with me in your minds this morning. Particularly, you can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to take view of a verse in just a moment, along about verse 7, which in my mind does speak of an unsinkable ship. It speaks of an ocean liner in a sense, we would call it an ark, that one man Noah was able to build. And I believe, and I would stand and argue the point, that that ship, that is the only one in history, nor will it ever be the only one in history, that God would not allow to sink. You may ask why that is. It's simply because God himself gave down a divine plan as to how that ship, the ark, ought to be built. And God himself, through his divine plan, allowed Noah to have information as to how that ark ought to be constructed and yea, even later how it ought to be filled and how it was to be inhabited by Noah and his eight souls within his family and also those animals, two and sometimes seven of a kind, that God would have to come in to that great vessel. And my mind says that that ship, the ark, was unsinkable. But far before the ark was unsinkable, but before the, if you will, the hammers began to swing and the saws began to take down those logs to build that ark, far before that we find that Noah's faith was what was unsinkable. It was not the ark itself, you see. It was the faith of the man on the inside based upon also another being that was inside, which was God that caused that ship through his faith to be unsinkable. And I want to take you today into this text, and we're going to be moving around a bit throughout our Bibles, Old and New Testament. But I want to take you into this verse, Hebrews 11 and verse 7, and show you just how Noah had 
unsinkable faith. You see, the way the Bible teaches, the way that we learn, especially concerning events that took place in the Old Testament, according to Romans 15.4, we learn from those things. We learn from those events, from those accounts. Just as Noah had an unsinkable faith, so can I, so can you, and eventually, and if the Lord wills, so can every man who obeys his will. Notice with me the text here, and we'll gain all of our points from it as we go. But the Bible here simply says, Hebrews 11 and verse 7, By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, was moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the whole world and became the heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Now follow with me in your minds and perhaps if you take notes, I'll try to help you to write down some things that will give you a pattern by which, maybe three or four depending on time, a pattern by which you can find unsinkable faith likewise. Number one, you might want to write this down, that Noah's faith was unsinkable because of the warning that he believed. The warning that he believed. Looking back at this verse right here, Hebrews 11 verse 7, the Bible began by saying, by faith Noah, watch it, being warned of God. You think about that. If you were to really take time and study your Bibles, as I know you often do as Bible students, you have already come to know that as you read the pages of Holy Writ, and I mean by that really containing everything from Genesis on through the final chapter in the final period behind the book of Revelation. You have come to realize that this is a book that is contained therein a series of warnings. Over and over and over again, God has warned mankind as to what they ought to do. And in essence, warned mankind as to what they do so they do not receive a just and due punishment. It's a book of warnings. But how was Noah actually warned? If this warning had something to do with Noah's faith and his belief in that warning had something to do with his faith, how was he warned? Well, go back with me, not to this text, but back to the original account. And for example, in Genesis chapter 6, if you'll turn there, Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, you begin to learn how Noah was warned. And there'll be two ways, and I'll tell you what each of them are. Number one, his warning resided in the Word of God. He heard, if you will, with physical ears in his day, the very Word of God. And so his warning resided in that. He didn't get this out of the men's mouths round about him. You know the account. You know the men around about him ignored the warning of God. He didn't get this from some uh, dream or image or vision that he may have had at night. No, he was warned of God by words. Notice what it said here. Chapter 6, the book of Genesis and beginning in verse 5. And God saw, this is God's perspective of man. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination and the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Watch this now. And it repented the Lord. That just means God rethought. God looked back and reconsidered. It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. Watch verse 7 where the warning really begins. And the Lord said. And the Lord said. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air. And he repented me that I have made them. But watch this in verse 8, important verse, verse 8. 
But contrasting that, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Oftentimes men want to receive, as they say it, God's grace. Friends, it's as if this is a key to unlocking to hear the word and the warning of the Lord. Now, when you think about that, then we realize, and we had this available to us, then when God warns us, and this warning resides in his word, that number one, we have, and we, we have a great blessing in this, we have what is called the scripted word. And what I mean by that, when I use the word scripted, I choose it because it just describes the written word that we have. Through the very providence of God, God allowed and allowed the Holy Spirit to inspire men, some about 40 or so, some odd men, inspired those men to write carefully the words that God willed for man to have. And then throughout all of that time, really from uh, way back up into the first century, and through all that time since the first century, God has providentially allowed his word to come through, ringing through clear in some of the most accurate translations that we have. And so you and I are blessed. We are blessed to have the scripted word. But how important is it? We're trying to connect the scripted word of God to the unsinkable faith of Noah. Well, it's important to he as it is important to me. Romans 10, 17, you could quote it with me perhaps. The Bible says in that, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, we cannot and will not have any faith, any level of faith, save we have faith in the Word or in the things that we find in the Word of God. Hebrews 11, in the same chapter where we are going to begin and continue to return, in verse 1 told us what? So then faith is the substance, that which stands under, of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Where do we find the evidence? In the words. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, the verse right ahead of the one we're discussing, tells us, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, but he that cometh to God, watch it, must believe that he is, and that he is, that is God, is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So there's something to be said about faith, sure enough, but there's something to be said about gaining that faith through the word, in our case, the scripted word. But let me tell you something you probably already realize. Noah did not have the scripted word. He didn't have it. You just consider it from the small facet, the minute perspective. If the account of Noah is being recorded in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, then Noah didn't have it. It's being spoken in hindsight. It's looking back on the life of Noah. And these things are being accounted. These things are being explained and developed. Noah didn't have it. But we do. And what a blessing it is that we do. Would to God we would hear the warnings of it. But there's not only the scripted word. There is also what I would entitle as the spoken word. That's what Noah did have. Noah had God, as recorded there in verses 6 and 7, coming and saying to him, it repents me, it makes me rethink that I even created man. It has God coming down in vocal words and saying to Noah, 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 I'm going to destroy the earth and all of its inhabitants. Now, Hebrews 11 and verse 7 says, Noah being warned of God. That was the warning. 
and it was in the form of spoken word. Now, you might say, as I would say, on the onset at least, well, we had the scripted word, that's what we have. He had the spoken word, that's what he had. And we do not have a mix of one or the other. Not exactly true. Keep your minds in Genesis 6, Hebrews 11. You're going to be stretched today. And turn with me to the book of Ephesians, particularly chapter 6. I want to show you a place where we have more than written word, believe it or not. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. Now, I'm not going to take time to discuss the context because you'll recognize it just from this verse, pulling it out. Hebrews 6 and verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation which is the sword of the Spirit. Watch this, another description of it. The helmet is the same as the sword. And then he says, which is the Word of God. W-O-R-D, Word. Most times, most of the time, when you see W-O-R-D, those letters coming together to form the word Word in the New Testament, you're thinking about or you're being uh, at least taught a Greek word that was more along the lines of a Greek word logos, which literally meant script, had to do with a scripted word. But right here, and it's peculiar, right here in Ephesians 6 and verse 17, that W-O-R-D word is not the word Greek logos, it is the Greek word rhema. You say, well, wait a minute, I'm not a Greek student or scholar or anything, I'm not either. Let me, let me discuss this with you. The Greek word here, rhema, which in your translation is W-O-R-D, literally could be translated like this. It'd take more to do it, but you could say it's the word from the word. Say, so why does that matter? Friends, why it matters is if you, we read this and we say, well, take the hammer of salvation, which is the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, then we often say this. We say, well, the word is a sword, and it is, okay? It really is. But we take that sword out and we use it as a piece of battle implement where we destroy and we cut and we slay and we tear apart. It's why I might try to say it. We take our Bible sometimes and beat people over the brow with it. Now that we must contend for the faith, Jude 3. We must earnestly contend for that, Jude 3. But at the same time, we're not using the sword as a weapon in that sense. No, because many people have scripted words, printed Bibles, who cannot properly use it. But when you think about the word rhema, you think about someone who has studied the word. And now who has injected that word into their hearts, their biblical heart. And now they use it. That's better. It is much better to have God's word in your heart and to use it than to have a copy of it on a coffee table or in the car or wherever else you might store your Bible for the time being. Better. So what are we learning out of this? We're learning, number one, that when we read of the warning that he received, he received that warning because it was founded in the scripted word. We have it today in that form at least. But just because Noah only had the spoken word doesn't imply you and I don't either. God's not whispering in our ears. God's not giving us any new revelation. But through the study of his word, we hear that. 
We hear his word. You ever read across something you say, well, thus said God to that people? Well, thus said God to me. You ever read something and it says Paul the Apostle of Jesus Christ to this group and Paul begins to speak? Guess what? That's not Paul speaking. That's God speaking. Not only did it reside in the word, second, put this in your minds, it also in this resulted in fear. Go back to Hebrews 11. I hope your finger is there. That's all you'll need this for. But the Bible says, and by faith Noah, watch it, being warned of God, the things not seen yet, watch the next few words, moved with fear. There are two types of fear that are often mentioned in your Bibles, particularly in your New Testament. One of them has to do with what we would know as common fear, and that's literally a shaking in your boots fear. That's the type of fear that most people, not all, some are different, but that most people have when they walk out in their yard or out in the woods behind their home and they walk up and lo and behold, not two feet from them is a rattlesnake coiled up and rattling. That's fearful. There's that type. But there's also the type of fear, which is a biblical type that is mentioned, which really has to do more along the lines of having a respect a reverence for God. Now someone says to that, well, I do respect God, but I don't have shaking in my boot fear. Put this context in your margin for later. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in about verse 8, when you move through through about verse 10, you're going to come across a verse right sandwiched in between there that tells you this. Paul says, because of the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul, does that mean because of respect? No. Paul literally says there, because I'm shaking in my boots, I'm going to persuade you. Now somebody says that I don't serve a God who's, who has such an iron fist as that. I don't serve a God who strikes fear into man. We'd do well if we did. Yes, we reverence him. But yes, we fear him in the sense that we typically use it. You say, well, why is that important? Because the Bible says Noah being warned of God What's the word right before that? Moved with fear. The warning was one thing. The warning was vocal. The warning for us is scripted and then in turn as seen as being vocal. But, but that's nothing. It doesn't matter unless it moves us. Let me show you another context, a lengthy reading. But we'll try to move through it quickly. Go back with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3. Someone may ask, why does fear matter? Is fear really important in my faith and my service to God? Let's ask the scriptures. Romans chapter 3 beginning verse 10. The Bible reads as this. It is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. And all are gone out of the way and together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And their throat is an open sepulcher. Their tongues as they have deceit is poison of ass. And under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and of bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood and destruction and misery are they in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. Now that's just verses 10 through verse 17 of chapter 3 of the book of Romans. You know what that reads like? Sad. To me, it reads like the morning newspaper sometimes. 
Uh, much of what is said right there concerns the society in which you and I live. And if we admit it, can concern some of it at least, the lives that you and I live. Why did that occur? Chapter 3 and verse 18. Look at it. There is no fear of God before. You see this next word? There, looking back up in the text, their eyes. Why is it then, uh, Paul? Why is it that there is none that are righteous? Why is it that there are none that seek God? Why is it that all are gone out? Why is it that none doeth good? Why is it that their terms are filled with bitterness? They're swift to shed blood. Why is that? Why is that? Because there's no fear for God. You and I, unfortunately, in our day, and have for quite some time, really, begun to live in a society where there's no fear for God. Now, that applies itself to respect but it also applies itself to shaking in your boots. I would to God that someone would wake up in the morning, whomever it is, who's living their life in sin, guilty of some of these things we just listed, would wake up and say, I don't know what has come over me, but I'm scared to death I'm going to meet God in judgment. Because you know what? They will. So what do we find if I'm going to have unsinkable faith, the same type of faith that Noah had, it will come from a warning that he and now I believe. That resides in the word and it results in fear. Number two, in order to have unsinkable faith, there'll not only be that, but Hebrews 11 and verse 7 goes on to say this, turning back to it. He says, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen yet, Move with fear. Watch the next word here. Prepared an R into the saving of his house. The, first, the word I want you to focus on is that word prepare. Because in behind, and these things are in order because the scriptures are in order, but in behind him hearing the warning of God, now he did the work of God. What is this? The work that his faith achieved I've got to do something. How many times have, have you been guilty? I have thousands of reading God's word, seeing something that I need to do or for that case not to do and I read across it and I just don't make any changes. I may intend to. I may say, well, God said do this and you know I hadn't been doing that lately and that's a good thing to do. You know, the Bible says for him to know it to do good and do it to not to him, that's sin. That's sin enough. The sin of omission, we call it. But then I don't wake up and do it. You say, well, I think I'll get up in the morning and I'll go see my neighbor and I'm going to talk to my neighbor about God's word. And all night we toss and turn and we think about that and we anticipate and we form our words and we wake up and the phone rings and somebody says, hey, uh, would you like to go to the lake today? Sure. Because why? Because it gets you out of going to your neighbor's house sometimes. But how does this play out in Noah's life? We need to understand, and we know this. Noah did. Although it be far before the text was ever penned. James 2 and verse 20 says, Faith without works is dead. D-E-A-D. In our terms, in, in Alabama, we might say it's graveyard dead. Dead like Rover who rolled all over. Dead. Faith without works is dead. 
Now, does that matter within itself? Somebody says, well, I've obeyed the gospel. I've heard, believe, repent, and confess, and I've been baptized. That ought to be fine and well and good. Well, Paul told the Ephesians that we are created in Christ Jesus, watch this terms, unto good works. So it's not that we're saved, we're, uh, we work to be saved, but it's the fact that because we're saved, we work. Because Noah wanted his household to be saved, because he had been warned and moved with fear, he prepared an ark. Now, let me give you a contrast so that we understand this. You know, there are two men in the Bible to me are parallels just so far down the line. Noah, go back in your Bible so we can see this with our eyes. Let's see what kind of character Noah was. We've already read there in verse 8. The Bible says, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Ask this question of yourself. How did Noah or why did Noah find grace? Look with me, if you would, to chapter 7 and verse 1. Still speaking of Noah, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come in all thine house, for thee, watch this, for thee have I seen righteous before my generation. Noah was seen by God, not men. Well, men didn't like what he did. Men didn't appreciate it fully. Noah was seen by God as being righteous. Why was Noah seen by God as being righteous? Chapter 7 and verse 1 is preceded in our divisions of the Bible by chapter 6 and verse 22. And Noah did all according to all that God commanded him, so did he. When was Noah spoken of as being righteous? Yes, he, he was seen as having grace in the eyes of the Lord in chapter 6 and verses 8. But he wasn't seen and noted as being righteous until chapter 7 and verse 1. Right behind him doing what? All that God commanded, so did he. Now why is that important? I said we'd bring a parallel here. Noah was a good man in the sight of God. Noah, because of what we read that Peter records, the Hebrew letter gives it, makes it obvious too, Noah survived that flood. He made it through. There's another man in the Old Testament named Lot. Lot found himself in the cities, eventually, after some bad choices, pitching his tent toward the cities, eventually found himself in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Lot is even spoken of as being a good man. Lot had definitely heard the warnings of the Lord, but the Bible tells us, and you can mark this down and research it, in uh, Genesis chapter 19, uh, let me think here, I believe to be along about verse 16, Lot in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah had to be pulled out. What's the difference? God gave Noah a warning and Noah just went to work. God gave Lot a warning and he just sat on his hand. He sat on his hand. The angels, chapter 19, verse 16, took Lot and his wife and his daughters by the hand and pulled them, actually it says, and put them out of the seas. And we all know the conclusion of that matter. His wife turned back and turned to a pillar of salt. Why do I illustrate it that way? Being warned of God will not matter if I treat that warning like Lot did as opposed to the way Noah did and I do nothing about it. 
Now, when I think about that warning, I have to understand that that warning is not just my warning. We may consider self. We may say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. I mean, here. Well, you are, and you're connected to other people, too. Someone said it this way, and I love to, to make mention of it. They said, a faith that does not begin at home does not begin. What does that mean? What's that, what are those words formed and put together for? It's saying there to teach the people you know. Teach the people you know. That's what Noah was able to do, apparently. His household was saved. And what Lot was not able to do, apparently, is that much of his household was lost and had to be pulled out. There's a difference. But thirdly here, in order to have unsinkable faith, I must, number one, hear the warning of God and believe it. The warning that I believe. Second, there is the work that faith and that my faith even can achieve. But thirdly, thinking of Noah, there is the wickedness that his faith perceived. What caused Noah to even desire to come out of that? What caused Noah to even want to survive a society like that? He looked around him, I assume now, and saw what God saw. That's how he found the original, verse 8, grace in the sight of the Lord. What did Noah endure in that day? I want to give you several things here as I can bring them to memory. Number one, Noah endured what I would call in this secular philosophies. Verse 5 and 6 we read. Genesis 5 and 6 says, and says, And the thoughts and the intents of the hearts of men, that's all men, were evil continually. That's, that's secular philosophy. If you are godly in your thinking, if you're godly in what you do and what you say and what you live and breathe, then you're spiritual. The opposite of spiritual is secular. Secular philosophy. But not only that, in Noah's day, it was a day of scientific progress. Somebody looks back and says, well, Noah lived with a bunch of cavemen. No, sir, no, ma'am, he didn't. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 17 speaks of Enoch which was just right there in the line before Adam, and says, and Enoch built a city. Not a house, not a tent, not a hut, a city. He was living in a day of progress. Not only that, I consider this, he lived also in a day of social plagues. Look with me to Genesis chapter uh, 6. Now drop down to what is said concerning these things. Verse 10, Genesis 6 verse 10. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and the earth was, watch it, corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence, and God looked upon the earth and beheld that it was corrupt, and for all flesh was but corrupted, and by his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the end of all flesh. It was difficult. These people were treating one another with violence. These people were corrupted in their ways. The word corruption means that something in their brains got dirty. Their minds were corrupted. He lived in that day. And he lived, according to the New Testament, in a day of sexual perversion. Also, you fast forward in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 26. And Jesus comes out and speaks plainly and clearly about the days of Noah and what went on. Right behind that, he says that's the same way it was in the days of Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah, we already know. You say, well, why does that matter? I want you to understand in this his circumstances. Noah wasn't living in a good time. 
Noah lived in a very, very tough time. But in that tough time, he was able to conceive, because of faith, the wickedness that was perceived around him. He saw that was wicked. That's his circumstance. What about his communication? What did he do? Well, the Bible calls Noah, the book of Peter, 2 Peter 2 and verse 5, says that Noah was a, quote, preacher of righteousness. He didn't go along to get along. He didn't try to be involved to make peace. He didn't try to appease the masses. He was a preacher of righteousness. Why does that matter to me? Why would it matter to you? Because, friends, we live in similar situations. We live in days and in times where we have these secular philosophies, this scientific progress. We think everything is all well and good. We deal with social plagues. We deal with sexual perversion. And we live in the same, if you will, the same type of circumstance. But we can have the same type of communication coming from that. And that is to preach words of righteousness. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. Are you a Christian? In a sense, then you're a preacher. You have to be. Uh, We must use that path. Someone says, well, people will not hear. Isn't that the case, that sometimes people will not hear? Put this in your margin. If you want to turn to it and you can, go ahead. But in Ezekiel chapter 7, I want to read a verse here. The Bible says this, But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee. Why is that? Speaking to Ezekiel, For they will not hearken unto me. Now, Ezekiel, to read the context, was down and out. He was in a pit of tears. He's saying to God, God, I've done all I can do to be a prophet of yours. And they won't listen, God. They just won't listen. He said, they're not putting you aside. They're not ignoring you. They're ignoring me. Matter of fact, in chapter 2, backing up one chapter, chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, he says these words, And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, they are a rebellious house, and ye shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. God says to Ezekiel, they won't listen, but it's not that they're ignoring you, they're ignoring me. And when you still go on and you keep on preaching righteousness, as Noah would, as we should, He says, they're going to realize one day there was a prophet among them. I'm not a prophet, and you're not prophets in the sense that we often think of that, but in a very real sense also we are prophets because we must and we must speak for God. So what do we have? As we close, I want you to consider this with me very quickly. If I'm going to have unsinkable faith as Noah did, It comes because of the warning that he believed. It comes also because, if you will, of the work that he achieved. So for me, it comes because of the wickedness he perceived. He couldn't live in that life without seeing there was something wrong with everybody else. But then it comes with the wealth that he received. Read Hebrews 11 verse 7 again. You'll see it there also. Just following the pattern, by faith Noah being warned of God, of things not seen yet, watch it, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which, watch this, he condemned the world. Now that's for a different study, for a different understanding. But the next words say this, and became the heir, inheritor, we would say, of the righteousness which is by faith. Friends, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Why? Because Noah was seen in the Lord's eyes as being complete. Why? Because Noah, the Bible said, thus did Noah all that God commanded. Why do that, Noah? Because of faith. That's that's the only reason. We find out in our New and Old Testaments alike that it had not as much as rained upon the face of the earth then. But he had faith. Can you imagine the mockery of the people around who looked in, who poked fun, who laughed at Noah? But he had faith. And one more thing I want to point out in Genesis 7 and verse 1, and you can see this with your own eyes. Genesis 7 and verse 1 begins with these words. God's speaking. Noah, come in with me. It's interesting to me that we find that God shut the door of the ark. We talk about that sometimes. But it's more interesting that God said, come, Noah, in with me. He didn't say go in. God wasn't standing on the outside pointing and saying, go in the ark, Noah, and you'll be saved. He said, come in. You see it? His fellowship with God. That's the wealth he received. Here's the question. Do I, or if not, can I have unsinkable faith? Yes. Through first beginning with faith. That is a faith that leans upon, literally the word means to rely upon God. Through faith, the same type is mentioned in Romans 10, 17, Hebrews 11, 1, Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Through the faith that's mentioned throughout this chapter of Hebrews 11, that type of faith, someone called it faith with legs on it. Yes, I can have faith, unsinkable faith. But that's not all. Through faith and in turn through repentance. Mentioned there that God repented of his things. He changed his thinking. He rethought some things. Surely men always should do that. Luke 13, 3 and 5, Jesus says, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Acts 17 and verse 30 said there was a day and a time when God winked. The literal terms mean overlooked things such as these. But now commandeth how many? All men everywhere repent. Be willing to confess his name. Jesus saying out of his own mouth, if you confess me before men, it'll be him who I confess before my father. If you deny me, it'll be him who I deny before my father. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Surely he requires that. And even Jesus himself saying in Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, and he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Peter talking about the ark of Noah in the context. 1 Peter 3.21 coming right behind 1 Peter 3.20 where he mentioned the ark. He says that baptism doth now also save us. Noah's unsinkable faith saved he and his household. Do I have that today? If not, through becoming a Christian, I can develop that, begin a road, the path of that type of faith. But if I am a child of God and I fall, won't you come home through prayer and repentance while together we stand and as we sing?